0: Hey, folks, uh, Dr. Ed Williams here uh, for our monthly podcast. As you know, I'm passionately, passionate or absolutely passionate about the business of aesthetic medicine, as well as mentoring those who are serious about getting to the next level in business and in life. And in my podcast series, I like to share so many of the lessons, unfiltered lessons, honest lessons from entrepreneurs, small small business owners, physicians. Uh, I've also written a book called The White Coat Entrepreneur, where I I tell all uh, my story And I find it's actually relevant to any professional or uh, not just physicians. Um, And check out our website at dredwinwilliams.com and our other podcasts, there's all kinds of information there. Um, Today, um, uh, I'm I'm interviewing Dr. Mark Beatty, who is in Atlanta. Mark is in his 22nd year of practice. So, um, and the topic is going to be So I'm thinking about opening up another office. Um, And uh, so thanks again, Mark, for joining me.
1: Glad to be here, Ed. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast. Really looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's cool. So um, anyway, so uh, I'm going to just kind of, you know, a little bit of an introduction here. There are a number of us who have over the years um, thought about Opening another office, and there's a variety of reasons. I'm gonna. I want to hear Dr. Beatty's uh, reason for doing this in Atlanta. Um, I remember many, many years when Devinder Mangat. Now, uh, Dr. Beatty's a facial plastic surgeon. Uh, He's been very successful. Why would a guy like him think about opening another office? Um, I remember many, many years ago, uh, Dr. Devinder Mangat uh, opened an office in Vale and. I was intrigued by that. I thought, wow, um, that's interesting. And you wonder if that's ever going to last, right? Well, Devender's now, as you know, retired. And he's. Uh, it was a wise decision for him because he's now practicing in Eagle, Colorado, uh, which is where his family is. He's got a son in Denver. And it was a very successful uh, endeavor for him. Um, I'm going to tell my story at some point. Uh, cause we've off opened, we've opened a couple of offices and we've also failed miserably on one, on one of them. So Mark, tell us, uh, you know, your story, like, you know, starting in practice, you know, how you went out, what you decided, and some of those milestones, um, now you've, been, now that you've been in practice for 20 years and, you know, having done fellowship with Dr. Uh, Wally Dyer in Atlanta, um, kind of the early days.
1: Right. So early days out of fellowship, um. You know, we spent six months or so trying to decide uh, exactly where we were going to end up, at, meaning what part of the country we were going to end up. And ultimately, for a variety of uh, family reasons and honestly, the business environment, we decided staying in a, in the Atlanta metro area was going to be the winner uh, for us. Uh, my wife, who's also a physician, was. Uh, was happy with her employment situation at the time, and um, you know, in a metro area of this size, it was relatively easy to have a um, have a non-competitive, non-adversarial um, ability to stay within the metro. So I just you know I had to move out from central Buckhead where I did my fellowship but uh you know we went to the north suburbs of Atlanta and I think um probably did what most of us do uh finishing facial plastic fellowship opened uh opened up a practice focused on facial plastic surgery did uh now you
0: went out on your you went out on your own and just opened up not enti- not entirely. I actually uh, joined a uh, fa- a facial plastics practice that was part of a
1: larger E T practice. And essentially, what had happened uh, is the facial plastic surgeons within that practice were either were phasing out in one way or another. One guy was in the process of leaving town. Another was really more interested in running the ENT business. So it was me coming in. And basically that was the understanding was that I was, I was the person interested in facial plastic surgery and I was going to run that practice. And, um, the association with the EAT practice was advantageous in the first few years for me because it gave you know the ability to drive a little bit of income outside of um, the purely cosmetic portion of the practice, but. It also allowed a, uh, you know, complete freedom for me to, as early as I wanted to, shift over into purely facial cosmetics, which is what I wanted to do.
0: So how long did that, that relationship last for you?
1: Yeah. So... Um, that lasted in some uh, form, well, to a certain extent, it lasts to this day. I still use one of the surgery centers that is, uh, you know, under the the umbrella of this larger E.T. group. It's not exclusive by any means, but uh, but we maintain a good relationship. I get a lot of referrals from them uh, for cosmetic stuff. So, uh, so I guess. You know, the the blanket answer to your question is that it, it, it has continued. As far as the direct relationship, um, that was about seven years uh, before I took the
0: before the facial plastic practice was broken off as an entirely separate business. Entity. So, let me ask you a question: If yes, if you had to do it again, yes would, would you, would you have broken off sooner? Yes. Because this, I I get this question a lot, you know, what's the ideal time from a a lot of our younger people, you know, who, because as you know, it's, it's a lot less risk to go join a practice, but there's a point where your, your vision, your, your, your direction is very different than the direction of the practice. What would, would have been the ideal time for you? Do you think?
1: you know i think um, if let me answer that two ways yeah from a from a business perspective um, it probably would have been in the 4 to 5 year time frame yeah because i think that would have allowed enough time to build up a relationship base and a access to capital base that I could have had the necessary freedom to go out and seek out or build um, surgery center facilities um, and, you know, expand into non-purely
0: surgical parts of the practice. I think it would have been difficult to do inside of uh, four to five years. So let me ask you something. Um, Why you know, why didn't you do some, do it sooner? And these are just, you know, questions yeah. that people
1: ask. No, that's an entirely fair question. And I, that, the, the answer for me is that, you know, we had a – we happen to have a – a
0: fruitful, pretty simpatico relationship with the ENT group. There yeah, so you don't want to a, ruffle uh, feathers, I
1: guess, right? Crap going on, which I think happens a lot in that kind of situation. And um, and I guess the other big factor for me is that they had. Yeah, there was there was a surgery center that was directly affiliated with that group that was in the building where my primary office is, or at that time I. Uh, my initial um, office is still in that building. Um, so that that was a big carrot yeah. you know to be able to um, not have to go out and build a surgery center myself but yet have all the advantages of having it right there at the building right. you could you know, drop up and down on the elevator.
0: Uh, see patients in between surgeries. I mean, uh, so so I think that was, that, if you're looking for a single thing. Yeah, I understand last that. An extra three or four years, I think that's probably my, that would be my big one. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's a question I get a lot because people want to know when's the ideal time. You know, a lot of people do go join a practice and then, you know, they find, invariably, if they're serious about facial plastic surgery, they find, or, you know, any other discipline, they find that the the goals are different, and uh, the ideal timing is somewhere probably what I hear about four or five years. So, so from there, you you were on your own, say seven eight years out until now. Um, tell us, uh, you know, how your practice grew, and then when when did you start getting itched to to open, you know, a second office? Because I I know you've talked to me about this for years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So here's kind of the way it uh, it, it worked out. We, um, for the first eleven years uh, in practice, we were essentially a entirely surgical practice. You know, we did injectables, but outside of that, we did not really get involved in the technology of the things. We didn't run a med spa, didn't have estheticians. I mean, we were we did surgery, and you know, that was it. Um, I think that that was probably helpful in that initial uh growth phase of the practice because everybody knew what we did we developed a solid reputation around that you know specific thing in um, the area where we were which is Alpharetta by the way for those who aren't familiar with the Atlanta metro it's a uh a large uh first ring well really second ring suburb um, outside of our um, outside of the perimeter of the city um, so you know that that was great um,
0: and that was and, your first practice right near Alpharetta yes yeah that, that's uh, the,
1: the first uh, location first practice location and we're, we're still there but yeah. that was uh, so that's kind of what it looked like for that first decade and so Uh, at that point, I started getting interested in adding some non-surgical components, trying to, um, create a situation where we could, where we could drive a little bit of at least partially passive income or income that wasn't directly tied to Mark Beatty doing,
2: you know, specific work every, you know, every day for however many hours a week. So, um, we, uh, We got into a little bit of technology we started doing some uh, skin tightening treatments we started doing uh,
1: some body contouring Um, and uh, that began to create a little bit of crowding within our space facility at Alpharetta because now you know we're stuffing this other stuff into the same amount of, the same amount of space. So I guess that was one driver that made so it. So one
0: driver, you were one just one kind of outgrowing to, your space a little. Yeah, to,
1: to, to some extent. Yeah. So, you know, you begin thinking about things like, well, should I just, um, do, should I create a med spa space, you know, down the street within the same market, or should I, or how should I approach this? So one of the things that's a little bit unique about atlanta or i think it is anyway that we um that ultimately led us to a different decision is different parts of the city um really kind of segment themselves and we um we started seeing about 12 to 15 years ago um, a tendency in the Atlanta metro for re-centralization. People started moving back into the city um, in, in large numbers and desirable demographics. I mean, we're talking, you know, young, middle-aged, uh, dynamic professionals, and they wanted to live in the city. And we started looking at that and thinking, you know, this uh, What we really should be doing is trying to ensure that we create a situation we, where
0: we are not missing out on that potential market segment. Because it turns out that these folks don't particularly like to drive all the way out to the suburbs, nor do people in the suburbs particularly like to drive into the city. So let me ask you something, because perception comes into this too. You know, people feel, well, if he's the best guy in Atlanta for my rhinoplasty, why is he in the suburb? Is there some of that or or because there I know that, you know, in my community, for example, sometimes feel if they go to New York, they're more likely. And so and I had a buddy of mine who was in um, north of the, uh, uh, you know, he's in the what do you call it? Valley Um, Napa Valley had a very thriving practice and had an itch. Really, and I think he ultimately opened up down and he called me. Wanted to know my opinion about because he knew I opened another office, you know, working in in San Francisco, because it gave the perception that he was a higher caliber doctor. Did that enter into the equation at all? I don't think so. Okay.
1: Maybe. For uh, for us, it was a little bit different situation in Atlanta because if you if you if you look at where the epicenter uh atlanta the atlanta medical scene is it's up on the north perimeter that's where all the major hospitals are with the exception of emory and um so that is you know, that that epicenter is kind of right in between where our two offices ended up being we okay. have one north of there and then the city is is south of there. I think more important, but you, you do lead into a uh, important point, and one of the reasons we really wanted to come to Midtown is it is a distinctly diff- different demographic. Okay, it's, so how, how
0: so? How is the demographic different, would you say?
1: It is significantly younger. It's significantly more racially diverse. It's significantly more gender preference diverse, uh, gender identification diverse. So it uh, in the city versus in the suburbs. So it really, um, you know, it really hit on a segment of the population that I think we would have been unlikely to adequately serve with a single location in the suburbs. Okay, so
0: how long ago did you do that? Because I know you'd been talking about it for a few years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So we opened the office in Midtown in um, 2014.
0: Okay, so you've been there for six years now.
1: Uh, Actually, uh, uh, we made the deal in 2014. It was 2015 before we actually opened.
0: What was was early on? You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. No, everything (laughs) takes twice as long and costs twice as much. So so just – the space that you took back then yeah. is it the same as the space you have now? Yes. Okay, and, and just how big was that ballpark? So we've
1: got at the midtown office about uh, twenty seven hundred square feet. Okay,
0: and the one that you have out in Alpharetta
1: is about uh, it's similar. It might be it's, it's right right around the same.
0: Okay, so what were what were the biggest challenges? and obstacles that you had to overcome to open that office?
1: So the what I thought was going to be the biggest challenge was to figure out how to appropriately allocate my time yeah. to ensure that we were... Um, that we were providing all the service that we wanted to provide. You know, we didn't want to take anything away from Alpharetta. Right,
0: that defeats the purpose, right?
1: Right, exactly. And uh, so that was my concern initially. As it turned out, the biggest miscalculation that I made was the difficulty in
2: getting, in properly allocating the staff. Yeah. Yeah
1: it wasn't
2: about, it wasn't a problem with me. It was a, I had made
1: the, or I shouldn't say that. I, I, I'm personally flexible enough that, you know, I could move back and forth. I could, and you know, for the short term, do anything for 12 hours a day. So, you know, we could make that work, but what was difficult was my upper level staff and particularly at the office manager level. Yeah. Uh, it was really a struggle. and, and so we, we paid for that in Alpharetta for two and a half years, yeah. and I did not expect that. That
0: was so. When crazy. you say you, so so, let me back up. Ask you a question: How far? How far do you physically live for Al, from Alpharetta now? So now we live in Midtown. I you live okay. So you moved in town. Correct. So yeah. how far are you from your office? So
1: I am two blocks from my Midtown office. Okay. I am twenty three miles or so from the, uh, Alfred office.
0: Yeah. So that takes a bit of time depending on traffic and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. So when you say, because, so here's, here's the thought, um, because those of us who are entrepreneurs, uh, get bored. You know, so is, and, 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 and we, we bat at shiny objects and we sometimes go down the road of a new opportunity that ends up being a distraction costs us time, toss us energy and creates unintended consequences. So I'm here one hearing one unintended consequence. You didn't expect this with your team and your staff. So elaborate on that a little bit, because obviously having two offices and expanding your staff, you know, there's a little little saying, you'll keep it, keep it small and keep it all. Um, You know, you have a whole level of operating expenses that you didn't have before now. So, so tell me about the unintended consequence of uh, of your team.
1: Yeah, so I think the thing that happened to us, anyway, um, I, you know, we I felt like actually from a purely resource utilization standpoint, there, you know, there's a certain part of what you do with uh, marketing, purely administrative. Um, business end things, uh, financing, all of that that actually that actually goes it, it doesn't matter, which you're serving both locations for one thing. So right. I think we gained the economy of scale there.
2: Yeah. And what I anticipated
1: was that my management team and myself would be able to add um Front office and back office support employees, and that they would we'd be able to run both offices concurrently just as efficiently as we ran one. And that we expected for Midtown to scale up, Alpharetta to stay the same, and within some, you know, reasonable period of time 18, 24 months, have two offices um, fully functional. So, what we found though was that. We and and this is not. Uh, I, I think everybody tried really hard and everybody did their job, but we had difficulty with staff that that wasn't directly under the supervision of myself or uh, of office management, not being productive. Yeah. And that was a problem, I, you know, a problem that we really didn't anticipate just um, because we, as a general rule, have not had staff problems. We had very low turnover. We had dedicated people. But it's just, I guess, at a at, – at a, there's a tier of those who work for us that really need to have somebody to – direct and focus right and keep them on task and they just can't
0: you know it's not in their skills so yeah so where where are your management where's your management team or your higher higher level people where are they stationed i should say where where do they spend most of the time because one thing i learned you know we learned and i'm sure you felt the same is yeah. not everyone has your same drive and level and they're not going to run back and forth to different offices they people right. don't like that right? Right. right so where where did you keep them mostly, or where do they work out of mostly?
1: So what we found ended up uh, working the, the best is for the most part for the most part Alyssa follows me and my nurse practitioner is opposite me. Okay, That's not 100% the case. Now who's Alyssa? That, that Alyssa's uh, my office manager.
0: Oh, okay, got it. So uh, again, it's not 100% we split
1: that up from time to time, you know, based on needs, but that—that that is kind of what Worked seemed bad. to be the, the magic formula for us, anyway. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I have folks in both of in, in those other roles who um, don't mind being split between two locations.
0: Got it. Because that is an issue, as you say. I mean, we've—I I do have—we have great members of our staff who really um, can't or would not be happy having to go to the other spot. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. So I'll, 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 you know, experience share here a little bit. We um, about five years ago we bought a, a very an established hair transplant practice um, in Saratoga Springs which is about 30 minutes from here. And um, we, Dr. Michael Beener, well established. Uh, he was past president of the ISHRS. We bought that practice as he was getting ready to retire with him to stay on with the interest of our junior guy here, Dr. Kimon Slaughter, who was going to um, run the practice where we failed. We, we eventually have turned it and it's now, it's now in the black and doing well. But we have learned this lesson before. We did not have management; our management team boots on the ground there. And we have learned if you're going to take over another practice or have a presence somewhere, you have got to have um, some some real leadership there uh, or it fails. And we did the same thing. I can tell you a number of different places we opened. But in, in, uh, in Saratoga Springs, we opened uh, a medical spa in 2006. And after two, two and a half years, it failed miserably because – we didn't have our, you know, we tried to hire, hire people and put them there, but they weren't they weren't proven as our culture. Now we learned that, you know, you have to be, have someone that is part of your management, part of your culture with boots on the ground. And that's kind of what you're saying there, right? I mean, if yeah. you, you, you just, if you don't have your culture and le- from a leadership point of view, boots on the ground, you struggle. And we learned, we've learned that lesson many, many times.
1: Yeah, that was that was the biggest unanticipated thing for me because uh, you know, we we just we, we did not see that coming. And interestingly, the way that it played out is the if you look at the development curve of the new location in Midtown, it actually it, it actually followed about what we had predicted in the business model. where where we failed was we we, we fell off in alfresco.
0: Yep. And we did the same thing with with our with our uh, Saratoga location. Um, initially, we have since again put an amazing uh, team up there, and we don't. I think we have one of the original people, uh, but it, it, we had our share of turnover, and you know now we've got the mojo and, and the and the morale. What um what other lessons, have, big lessons, have you? Uh, um, well, first of all, it sounds like you're. You know, your Midtown uh, location was a good decision. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, in retrospect, even with all the stuff that we've been through with this and the mistakes that we've made, um, I would absolutely do it all over again. I would even put up with more downside because I think that we have put ourselves into a uh, market situation in our in this metro area, that is uh, as desirable as it can get. We're in the two highest growth areas nodes uh, in Atlanta currently and predicted to be to continue to be for the next decade. Um, so yeah, it was a, it's a no brainer good decision
0: in retrospect. Yeah. So let let's just you, you know just kind of uh, you know gut gut feel answers. You feel it was a good decision. Do you feel, and we're not talking about you know gross revenue. Do you feel you're you're as profitable, you know, net to Dr. Beatty, the, the, as you were back then, or the two overheads kind of equal it out, and you know you're, you you just got more on your plate. I mean, um, how, you know, because obviously you've got you've got two layers of expense now.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that for the first. Three years. Um, there's no doubt that the effort to profitability ratio went down. I think it reached equivalency somewhere over the uh, past year and a half or so. And my expectation going forward is that it's going to get better.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. You know, you, you know my story a little bit uh, uh, about our Virgin Island because uh, you've asked me about it a few times. Um, gosh, I mean, that was one that we, uh, you know, we really struggled with because part of it was my partner was born in Haiti and I love the islands and, you know, we love the people down there. And so we thought, well, if we can do this and, you know, there was also a big plastic surgery clinic down there. It was called the tattersall clinic and it was on Tortola and this guy was in his eighties and, but it was, it was known all over the Island chain that, that, um, that, uh, this, this was the place to go. And so we thought, and what we were doing our research that, you know, St. Thomas would be a great place to go. You know, you've got AAAC accreditation, you got all the standards of care that we have in the States. Because let's face it, some of these islands that we're, we were talking to, they, uh, you know, you don't know what you're getting for anesthesia. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, you don't know. And it's kind of scary. You're out on some island somewhere, right? So we, we, um, we thought that St. Thomas would be a good place to go. What we didn't realize is that if you want to get a license in St. Thomas, you either work for the hospital for five years and you um and then you get your light we get your license, but you can you can practice or you have to take this specs exam, which is uh it's like part one, two, three is boards all in one. Um so my partner and I then this is a five-year process. We took the exam. We failed it by a point. I failed it by a point. He failed it by three. And by the way, the passing is 75, not 70. And it's everything like, you know, someone comes to your office, they travel to Africa, they ate this, they whatever, and then they had chest pain, you know, I mean, stuff that I haven't done since medical school. So we were determined to open there. We, so we, we go, we take the exam again, spend another year, 2,000 questions, you know, sitting there doing this in the evenings. And we, uh, we finally passed the test. We what they put us through uh, and then getting malpractice premiums. So we finally work in a clinic down there. It was a nightmare to get licensed. Right. Taking five years. We finally work in a clinic. Finally, after two years with my partners, he's schlepping down there every six, eight weeks. I'm going down maybe every two to three, two two and a half months. But we're having, you know, we're having fun. And I was operating down there and I was thinking, now I look back, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? It's, you know, I had a good coverage and general surgeon down there that would take care of our patients, but, but it was, it was clearly a distraction. And and when I used to meet with our managers each month and say, what's your biggest frustration? It was always like dealing with the, you know, the Virgin Islands and the, and the phone calls and the clinic and scheduling. So, and then Maria and Irma hit, you know, whatever, 16, 17. We were finally starting to become in the black. It took us two years. We finally start to get into the black, and then we were ready to go back again this spring, and then COVID hit. So I don't know where we are with this whole thing, but I I, I caution you know when people are looking at at opening another office to really ask yourself why are we you know doing that. I mean, what if I take if I think about the effort that we put into that and put it toward our own practice here you know, in, in this one location that we're at, you know, maybe would have, you know, we would have seen a 50 to one kind of return. So, you know, in, in retrospect, I, I mean, I listen, I have no regrets in life, but it was, it was clearly, uh, you know, there was not, it, it, these things take a while to become profitable. And we just got the one to blow with this, between COVID, the storms. But I think what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, it, it does. It, it does take a deliberate effort, and it, it you know takes some time to pan out. And and I've heard this from other people. It takes three plus years to make it you know make it profitable, and you better be work, ready to work a little harder, right? Because think about the energy you put into open that office. It was quite a bit, right? Absolutely, I
1: think that is, is completely correct. And you know the the. the, the The mindset, the thinking behind what we were doing with the second office here was a little bit different than, I think, you know, what you guys did with the Virgin Islands or Defender going to fail, you know, those kinds of things where where you have that wide a separation. I think it's a little bit different thing than what we were doing. No, I understand. Clearly. You know, we're trying to be part of a market that we felt like was important, but within Within our same overall metro area, and so my point with that was going to be, even with that, you know, maybe, right. maybe more focused scale mindset, there's still there, there's there's still a lot of extra work that you don't anticipate. There are problems and costs that you don't anticipate, and yeah, it takes uh, you know, it takes it takes two or three years to get everything up and uh running as efficiently as you would like it to
0: be. And yours was I mean yours was really a strategic move. You looked at the demographics, where the growth was, and that was a strategic move for you. I mean, I think we were hoping to see see it profitable. Um but deep down inside I I knew that it wasn't what I consider a winning move, you know. Um so, but now I look back, I'm like, you know, we would have just, you know, doubled down and worked and just go down there all the time and enjoy ourselves. Um, yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So it sounds like that was any other real lessons that you learned from opening the second office.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, I think that, the other piece that that probably we could have done better would have been to, in preparation for opening the second office, even though we had a good set of relationships in Midtown Atlanta, and we did put some effort into bolstering those and so trying to make sure that that kind uh, of that 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 referral network and the potential virality of that referral network was as strong as it could be
0: we probably underdid that and we probably started too late in midtown um, in, in midtown yeah i think
1: we could have we could have ramped this place up faster had we um, you know had we really as soon as we made the decision that we were coming to midtown if we had gone ahead and put more um, direct outreach, um, liaison kind of work within the Midtown medical community and aesthetic community in general, which we did, but we didn't do it. As, we didn't do it enough, and we didn't do it early enough. Yeah, um, to, to maximize the outcome there.
0: So, where does most of your surgery come from now?
1: Um it's it, it is a pretty darn even split. It is, okay. Um yeah, and my, my time is pretty evenly split. Now we are um solely uh well not solely, but for a lot of reasons, one of which is you know where I happen to live. We are intentionally making some uh making some moves to try to focus my time more on
0: midtown. Gradually, as time goes on. Yeah. Uh,
1: but, cur- but currently,
0: it's about an even split. Got it. So, what in in uh, Doctor Beatty's um, horizon? What What are your next initiatives? Next projects that you're working on? Because I know you're not just sitting still. You know, um, you know, you had. A, we don't need to talk about this. I've heard you know before, but you you had a, you had a, you had a big scare a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so. It, that's a wake up call so what, what's your next
1: it definitely gives you a little different perspective on you know what's uh, what's most important in life and, and where you how to properly distribute focusing your energies yeah. and um, you know and, and, and so for me that became to a greater extent on making sure that I was spending time with my family and with my uh, uh, with my daughter, particularly who's about ready to head off to college, and um, you know that. So so the big, the
2: biggest things that we are trying to create for me are to create time yeah and uh so that's part of the focus of trying to bring things uh back to
1: more focused on midtown for me so that there's you know not not as much uh travel and inefficiencies involved with going to both offices but also that has uh been one of the drivers behind our um continued gradual expansion into uh, some device based things right. and uh, you know treat pr- procedures and treatments that can be done without direct physician presence
0: got it what's so that's that's maybe some maybe the next phase or next project you're going to work on is is how to leverage yourself maybe more passive Yes, so that, that's that aspect of things, and then, uh, you know, the, we're
1: also at a place now where we're have, considering uh, bringing in another physician as well.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. whole—actually, I'm going to do another podcast on that because that's a whole—as uh, you know, so many people fail on that, uh, and I've done it a number of times. Um, I failed once miserably, um, but I've also had a lot of wins on that, and there's a whole— strategy behind that too, which is very, very important because, you know, you can only do, there's no, you know, you're only as good as your last facelifter. I mean, until you start to learn how to leverage yourself with, uh, you know, bringing other people on, but we're, I mean, in the future, I'm going to do a a whole separate podcast on that. So any other words of wisdom, Mark, I, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing some of these thoughts. Uh, I get questions from people all the time about, you know, geez, I know you've had experience with this, so your thoughts. And I think this was pretty insightful and really much pretty much sums up a lot of what I've heard from other people and the experience I've had myself with opening other uh, other offices. Any other pearls uh, or you know, words of wisdom? Yeah, uh,
1: I guess the thing that I would close with Ed, is, well, uh, you know, this is been a great conversation i think we all are you know continually thinking about and fascinated with what we're doing in both the business and medical aspect of our working lives but um i would throw out to everyone that you that that it is equally important to have a focus and a drive and an interest on making the rest of your life just as fulfilling as your working life is and uh, that's probably the biggest change I've personally made in the yeah. last three or four years. And, uh, and I, I, it clearly, for me, has made just um, you know, existing as a human being on the planet uh, more fulfilling.
0: Yeah, that's uh, certainly sound advice. You know, one of my favorite lines is, uh, no success uh, at work justifies failures at home because, boy, they're I've seen a lot of heartache over that, you know, from just colleagues of mine and friends who've oh, gone absolutely. gone through it and just uh, turned their life upside down. So, so um, listen. Thanks, you know, Mark. I want you to stand because I just want to talk to you for a few minutes after I get off uh, the podcast. Yeah. But uh, you know, thanks so much for for you know sh- sharing your thoughts and and joining us and uh, great words of wisdom and, and pearls there and some of these lessons. So. You know, for those of us who, or those of you who are listening, please send me questions, comments, thoughts, things that are uh, topics that you'd like to hear. Um, this is a great topic, uh, but any questions or topics that you'd like to hear. The one thing you're going to get from us is unfiltered. There's no media bias here. There's no um, uh, agenda from uh, industry, and I hate to say it that way, but it's true. But that's not the nice thing about it because. Um, you're going to get you're not going to get somebody's going to sugarcoat something you know for you. And we do unfortunately get some of that at the meeting. So, thanks everyone for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. If you you know if you uh, have any other topics, get them to me. Check out my website dredwinwilliams.com, or you can send for our book, The White Coat Entrepreneur, which is basically my story of uh, and I tell as many failures stories in there as I do uh, winning stories. So, thanks everyone for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next month.